Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to apologize up front. I feel like I've been at a football game. don't exactly know why, but my voice is giving me a little bit of trouble this morning. But happy Mother's Day, moms. I'm glad that you're here. This is a, um, a, a special Mother's Day for me in a couple of ways. Uh, one is, is kind of a, a little bit sad. Uh, my faith mom, Carlene, uh, this is the first time that I've uh, celebrated a Mother's Day without her here, and that's been about 28 years worth of uh, Mother's Days with her. And uh, even though I, if I'm sad, I can tell you that I can hear her from heaven saying, get over it, sportsman. Um, that's uh, just kind of her nature. But this is also special because uh, this is the first Mother's Day that one of my girls fa- uh, let us know that she's going to be a mom. Lauren's here this weekend. And so I'm just going to warn you, come December, there will be two babes that will be celebrated, all right? But um, just thrilled that she announced that this weekend, and um, Tyler is carrying her everywhere, so if that looks a little bit odd, I'm just joking. He's not doing that. Um, But moms, this really is your day. I want you to know that we're going to be talking about something every one of you who is a mother, is more than acquainted with your fair share of. And that's suffering. You cannot call yourself a mother unless you've suffered, either to bring a child into the world or to raise a child in this world, because it comes with the territory. Mom, say amen. Yeah. Let's be honest, though, while we're putting up with suffering of any kind, and it might be natural and maybe even noble at times, none of us wants to suffer, that is, and we certainly don't want to suffer needlessly. That was a case with a New Yorker that had been vacationing down in Texas, and he was hit by a cowboy truck. cowboy was pulling his horse to a rodeo. It was a terrible accident. Several months later, this New Yorker filed suit for money to pay for his medical injuries, The lawyer from the Cowboys Insurance Company, however, protested. In court, he said, it says right here on the police report, you said you weren't injured. The New Yorker said, let me explain. I was on the side of the road laying there in the culvert. I was in great pain, and a Texas Ranger came up, and someone said the horse's leg was broken, so he pulled out a gun and he shot him. He turned to me and said, are you okay? Suffering is not easy to talk about even under the best of conditions. Most likely, some of you walked in here this morning, and you're suffering. And odds are, you don't want to talk about it either. You just want it to go away. And maybe, like our New Yorker, you're afraid of talking about it because it'll only make things worse. God understands that. We're in a series of lessons that I'm calling Greater Than, and we are asking the question, is God greater than the challenges that we face? Last week we looked at how God is greater than evil, and this week my goal is to bring some of you hope with the truth that God is greater than sufferings. And for our church, we are inundated right now with a tsunami of suffering. The tragedy which hit the Leonard family has given more significance to this message than several weeks back when I began preparing for it. 
It started with the learning of Jessica Leonard's father being involved in a horrific car accident in the Abilene area and dying within 24 hours. And then just a month later, Donna Leonard was to have surgery for what was believed to be a small tumor on her ovaries. And during the surgery, we found out that she had several, some inoperable tumors, and some, if not all, in stage four. Along with Evie's foot and Gwen's leukemia and Jerry Thornton's cancer, and many more that I could mention, we are suffering in this church physically in a huge way. But there's other suffering that I can't mention, not by name. There's some serious relational suffering that's going on. Some serious financial suffering that's going on. Some serious mental suffering that's going on. And it's taken my breath away. And it's made this message a little bit more sobering this morning than I thought it was going to be. And I believe, though, not only do I have a word from God, but I believe I need a word from God this morning. And I need some hope. Maybe you do, too. That God really is greater than our sufferings. I'd like to ask you to join me in prayer, please. Father, we're not the only group that's suffering that's wearing your son's name. I don't know where Riverside Church is or Hosanna Lutheran Church is in the suffering level, but I know that there's some, and so we lift them up along with this family here and any disciple that's wearing your son's name. Please, God, help us, heal us, enable us, strengthen us, redeem us if you choose not to heal, and turn that suffering for good. We realize there's no way we can do this on our own. We hate suffering, and you know that because you experienced it. And so we come to you with these sufferings and ask, in the name of Jesus Christ, would you be Lord over all of them? And we ask it in his name and everyone said, amen. And I hope with all my heart <clears throat> that when we are through in a few moments that you'll affirm with me that God really is greater than our sufferings. But I think I need to start by saying this. Scripture does not pretend that suffering is easy. Never. Suffering can be crushing. Suffering can be debilitating. And to be honest, it is the reason that many of our ordinary friends that we're hoping to lead into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus will have none of it. They will flat out tell you it's because of suffering that they've experienced either in their own lives or in the lives of those closest to them that they can't trust God. Some of them may have even said to you, if your God is so good and he's so powerful, then why is there so much suffering in this world? And you've not known what to say. Well, God's at least revealed two truths that we might consider saying. The first is this, God didn't choose suffering for his story. Pain is real and pain exists, but God makes it clear he didn't choose pain and suffering to be included in his story. He had no intention of writing either into the script. Read the first couple of chapters in Genesis from the Hebrew scriptures and you'll find this out. Pain and suffering exist, but not by design of the creator. No, they exist because of the choice of some of his created. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Paul writes to a group of Jesus followers in Rome saying this, Adam sinned. 
And because of that, sin entered our world, and Adam's sin brought death. And so death spread to everyone because everybody sinned. Now, that may not be news to all of you, but it's news to some of you. But it's important news to know. God wants us to know that when it comes to suffering, at its headwaters, it's a little bit further upstream. Some choices were made that have led to your terrible choices and some of your terrible circumstances. That applies to every single human being here. Paul says to make sense out of what's going on in our lives, we need to understand that every one of us have been affected, maybe a better word, is infected with a contamination of a sin nature. That will impact you relationally, that will impact you spiritually, that will impact you physically, and eventually lead to your death. Now, despite what some preachers on the internet will try to get you to think, believers are just as subject to the consequences of the fall as unbelievers are. If you're a man who farms for a living, it doesn't matter whether you're a believer or unbeliever, weeds and thorns will grow in that land that you cultivate and till. If you're pregnant, as Bonnie, Vicky's daughter is, who is carrying a double, by the way. We saw the um, sonogram of Lauren. She's carrying a single, just like Jeannie Paramore. But regardless, any woman who's pregnant, believer or unbeliever, is going to experience pain in childbirth. Again, thank you, Adam and Eve. Jesus has affirmed himself that sickness is going to be a part of his reality until he comes back, which is why he encourages us to go visit the sick and do what we can to comfort them and to pray for them. He says, when you're doing that, you're visiting me. So, friend, please know suffering is a reality God never intended, that he never purposed. But listen to me. When it entered this world, he didn't abandon it. Because even though God didn't choose suffering for his story, he can use suffering for his glory. The painful truth we live with every day is this, that good really can come from suffering. Because our wounds can promote new areas of growth and maturity that just simply cannot be achieved any other way. At least that's what Paul tells us, because he experienced it himself. He is the classic example. He's writing to a church that he planted by the name of Corinth, and this is his really his second letter. And a key part of it was to give hope to some brothers and sisters, I assumed, who were disillusioned by their suffering. And so he shares from his own experience with it. He starts by saying that God had privileged him with seeing some things that very few people are ever, if ever, have been privileged to see. He says, God allowed me to see visions of the third heaven, the place where he actually dwells. And he starts by saying in this letter that God privileged him with seeing those things and he couldn't really report on them if he wanted to because God hadn't given him that freedom. But verse 7 he says, because of these surpassingly great revelations, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, would you take this away from me? Three times he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul says, that's why, for Christ's sake, I delight, interesting word, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, because when I'm weak, I realize really, I've never been stronger. 
Here's the thing, church. We want to bring God glory with our lives. But what we want is to bring God glory with our strength. So the athlete hits the home run and he scores the winning touchdown. And the on-field interviewer places the mic in his face. And the entire country marvels watching as he says, I first want to give God glory. And that's a good thing. When we get the raise or the promotion or receive a huge financial blessing, when something incredibly awesome happens, we say, I want to give God glory first. That's a good thing. Because our hope is that God will leverage our strength for his glory. Please, God, use my blessing. Please use my talent. Please use my moment in the limelight and applause. Go ahead, God. Use it all for your glory. That's a good thing. But you know what I've never seen? I've never seen an athlete that's lost the game from his mistake or blown her opportunity at a medal. And the interviewer places the mic in their face and they say, first of all, I want to stop and give glory to God for my failure. You never hear the guy who just lost his job or didn't get their dream job say, I want all my friends to join me tonight. I'm having a party here to give glory to God because he's about to do something that couldn't happen any other way in my weakness. We want God to get glory from our strength. But what if? What if God says, I could get more glory from your weakness if you would just let me use it? I could get more glory from your failure. I could get more glory from your disappointment if you just let me use it. Many of you have heard of a young lady by the name of Bethany Hamilton. She's a world-class surfer who at the age of 14 was bitten by a shark. She lost her arm. Her story was made into a very popular movie called Soul Surfer. And she gives a strong Christian witness through that story, but she would never say to anybody, I'm glad it happened. She would never say, I hope it happens to you especially. But what she would say is this, that in her weakness she has been given a platform to glorify her God like no other. I know that because she said this, I've been able to embrace more people with one arm than I ever did with two. You say, how? Because God is greater than suffering. And so we believe that God will always do what's best. Always. And I will most likely not know in advance what God's best happens to be, regardless of the difficulty he asks me to go through. And that's where faith comes in. And so we just believe him. And here's two takeaways I hope we take away on this Mother's Day. I believe that my greater than God can remove suffering. We've come to celebrate that this morning. We believe our God can remove suffering. Amen? We believe that. We see it a lot in the Gospels. Every time Jesus encountered suffering, he moved against it. And every time he did, it was an act of spiritual warfare. Why? Because he was invading the domain of Satan and pushing back his illegitimate claim to ruling here. When Jesus healed disease, he was announcing, there's a new king in town. You see, the connection of the coming kingdom and the age of healing is in the Gospels. I know you've read the Gospels, and so you've connected those two. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus sends out his disciples to do two things, to preach the kingdom and heal the sick. They're connected. 
When Jesus healed, he was announcing a new reign had appeared on the scene, which is why in the Gospels, Jesus does as much touching as he does teaching. Now, to be honest, in the churches that I grew up in, we didn't talk much about healing because I was taught that God didn't heal anymore because the reason he healed the sick was over. I can identify with Rick Ashley, who was raised similarly, and who one day took out his Bible and began to look at all four Gospels and study the reasons why Jesus went about his healing ministry. And he came up with five reasons that helped me a lot. Maybe they'll help you. Jesus healed, number one, to authenticate his identity. To let people know who he was. And so he often said to his critics, if you don't believe me, then at least believe the miracles to know God's in me. Another reason he healed was to illustrate his authority. And so he would say to a man who was paralyzed and on a mat, so that you know the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, I say, you take up your mat and go home. Another reason he healed was to demonstrate compassion. You know as well as I do, sometimes when he was, he was looking at a certain group of people and he could see the sick coming to him from maybe miles around, it was like a flock of sheep that didn't have a shepherd, and so he had compassion on him, the Scripture says. We get that. Another reason he healed was to validate someone's faith. You know he said this often to people that he made well. Your faith has made you well. Don't you know that that helps someone who didn't really even believe they had faith? Like some of you, God helped me believe in spite of my unbelief. And then the last reason he healed was this, to stimulate the praise of God. Often when people are healed, they would give God glory, saying, we have never seen anything like this, the Bible records. So let me ask you this. Which of those five reasons is rooted in a limited historical basis? I don't find any. Because I know Jesus still wants us to know who he is. He still wants us to know that he has authority. He still wants us to know he has compassion on his children. He still wants to validate our faith. He still wants us to give God praise when we're healed. Find anywhere in the scriptures where God says, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I'll be glad to listen. I can't find it. The first Christians believed in and sought healing from God. And so God wants you, my friend, to believe and seek in healing from him. Now I need to say right here, I believe all healing is divinely engineered healing. Some say that there's normal healing and there's divine healing. I don't think so. I think the creator gets credit for it all. The healing you enjoy most, as a matter of fact, many of you never even give a thought to. Because God so wondrously designed our bodies that 90% of the sicknesses and disease that attack us never make it in. Your body's just constantly fighting it off, and you don't even know what's going on. That's divinely engineered healing. When you go to the doctor, and he uses his skill, and he uses medicines that help us get well. God had a hand in giving him those skills. And I believe with all my heart that is divinely engineered healing. It's God who gets all the glory, and it's the doctor who gets the money. And then sometimes God heals with supernatural intervention. 
And Scripture says you're right to ask for that. Don't take my word for it. Take the brother of Jesus, James. James says, is anybody among you sick? And let them call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, and if they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This church in Kerrville has done this for several years now. We affirm that God still dispenses his power through the Holy Spirit to remove suffering. But we also affirm this, that what is always in God's power is not always in his purpose and plan. God is greater than my suffering, and so he can remove my suffering. But point number two that I hope you take away is this. If he doesn't, he can redeem it. I think it's worth noting that some of those closest to Paul who traveled with him in his ministry, Timothy, Trophimus, Aphrodite, just to name a few, they're there in the New Testament. They traveled with Paul, and yet they battled sickness, and God gave Paul a powerful healing gift. But then even Paul dealt with suffering. He told the Galatians that the reason why he preached the gospel to them in the very first place was because of an illness that kept him there in Galatia. How could that happen to a man who's got a powerful healing gift? And the answer Paul would say later was that I realized that the attack on my physical health was God redeeming an important part of my spiritual health. Friend, I hope you see that the points of God redeeming what I really don't want in my life and to do something that I, he could never do any other way points to a power that's greater than just him removing the hurt, removing the frustration, removing the disaster. Satan wanted to attack Paul, and so he sends a malady to Paul to discourage him. God wants to protect Paul from pride, and so God uses that illness which Satan sent to keep him from becoming conceited, to keep him from becoming arrogant. the same things that destroyed Satan when he was an angel of light. I don't know how you see that. I see that as almighty power. I hate that it's true most days, but the only way that some of us are ever going to experience the sufficiency of God is to go through a season of awful weakness. The only way that you're ever going to find out that His grace is enough is not in spite of suffering, but because you find yourself in the midst of it. And many of you understand this. Many of you have been through a season in your life and you would say to me, I would not want it for anybody else. I would not wish it on anybody else. It was hard. I would never want to replay it again. But I look back now and I realize that it took me to places in my relationship with God I would never, ever have gone on my own. Paul will tell you, I learned about grace in the midst of my weakness, in a way that I could never have known in my strength. I think he'd agree with David who wrote in one of his songs, it was good for me to suffer. So I would learn your demands. You mean there's, there's some things that I could only learn because I suffer? 
Yeah. Moms will tell you that. But knowing that Paul would want you to know it's okay to ask God to take away the suffering. He did three times. And God never reprimanded him for asking multiple times. So yes, God can deliver us from suffering, or he may choose to deliver us through that suffering. I want to close this morning with a testimony that I heard about 10 years ago that impacted me so greatly that it just kind of floated up to the surface this week. Because it both involves God healing and suffering and molding and shaping a family in one of the most unique ways I've ever heard, the Carter family. Since it's Mother's Day, I thought it would be more than appropriate to share with you a mom who learned through both the supernatural and extraordinary suffering, God is God, and he is amazing. The young mother that I want to tell you about is Amy Carter. She's the wife of Rick Carter, who was one of the ministers on the staff at the Hills in Fort Worth where Rick actually preaches. Amy told Rick on stage, I tried to get this on tape, but I couldn't, but I got the transcript of it. And back in 2006, she became pregnant with her first child. When the child was nearly two months old, inside her womb, they went to the doctor and realized something was very, very wrong with Eva. After seeing several other doctors, Amy and her husband were told that their little girl had cystic hygroma. It was a malformation of the lymphatic system, and it was a life-threatening disease. She was told her baby might live a few days or a few months more, but she would not survive the pregnancy. Amy said we were understandably devastated and the doctors didn't offer us really any hope at all. So the next few days, our family began praying for healing for Eva. And I love this about Amy. She said, I confess now, but it was hard to admit then that my husband and I never considered praying for the child. But we began praying for healing. And about a week before she was supposed to go back to the doctor, Amy said, I was sitting in my living room and I was pouring out my heart to God. And she said, I received a word from him that he had healed Eva. And he said, I wrote it in my journal. I shared it with my husband. And the next week, the night before we would go to the doctors again, my husband, myself, and the elders of the church and the minister's staff got together at the Hills Church and prayed over us. We went to the doctor the next day. The doctor looked at the sonogram and with tears in her eyes said, the cystic hygroma is gone. She said, there's no sign that it was ever here. Amy said, we were crying. We were praising the Lord for the miracle that he had performed in Eva. And a few weeks later at our next appointment, the doctor said, I hope you understand what's happened here. And the Carter said, I think we know. The doctor said, I have talked to many other doctors about your case. They've seen the before and extra and after sonograms. They've never heard of this happening before ever. She said, this is a miracle. And the Carter said, we know. In the interview, Rick then asked her a question when they were on stage. It was great to rejoice with you and your family, but you are the mother of two little girls. Can you tell us about Ella? Amy said, well, in 2008, I became pregnant with our second child. And at the three-month checkup, we went to the doctor and again heard the dreaded words, there's something wrong with the baby. The Carters couldn't believe that this was happening again. Ella was diagnosed with something called infancil, 
which is when it's an abnormal uh, development of the it's a it's an abnormal development of a, the wall that holds your organs together. And he said we were heartbroken, but she said this time we were not without hope after what God had done for Eva. We knew immediately what to do, and that was to pray. And we prayed for healing, and our friends joined us, and the members of the Hills staff, and the elders prayed over us. But I never received a word from God that Ella would be healed. And so on August 31st, 2008, when Ella was born, she was born with her stomach and her liver and her intestines outside of her body. And she had a severely deformed left shoulder that we didn't know about until she was born. That night, our whole world, Amy said, changed. Although Ella is doing well, she said it's been a long, long, difficult road. Feedings every three hours, multiple surgeries, hospital stays that have been months at a time, hundreds of doctor's appointments, and there's more ahead, she said. So Rick asked her, how did this make you feel? One, one time you get an amazing word from God, the next time you don't. And Amy said, the Lord's been faithful throughout this entire time, but honestly... I didn't always feel that way. You see, for much of Ella's first three years, I was very disappointed. I felt like God had left me. I was hurt. I felt a great deal of bitterness and resentment towards the Father that he would allow this to happen. And I came to the basic conclusion that God couldn't be trusted. Pause button. As much as for those words, as the healing words I talked about a few moments ago, is why I'm sharing this testimony with you this morning. Because some of you here have prayed those prayers. And you didn't get the answer you wanted. When the interview concluded, Rick asked her what she had learned. And Amy said three things. Number one, God loves me so much. And the thing he longs for most is a relationship with us. He doesn't just want us to know about him. He wants us to know him. And so my advice to anybody who's struggling with how God is not intervening in their life is that they run to him, not from him. She said, because the second thing I learned is he's trustworthy. You can trust him with every last thing. Now, the, the enemy's going to whisper, no, you can't, because if you just trust him, he's going to let you down. But he's a liar. When you release those things to the Lord, there is freedom and there is life. You could never have any other way, she said. She said, and sometimes, point number three, the Father's not going to give us what we expect and what we hope. With Eva, she said, we received a miraculous healing. But with Ella, we didn't. But we did receive a spiritual and emotional healing we didn't even know we needed. Wow, I needed to hear that word. Both answers were a gift, she says. They both came with great, great blessing. So church, not when you suffer. But if you're suffering now, it's possible that maybe you want the healing more than the healer. So we've got to be careful because we need to know it takes faith to be healed 
And it takes faith to be sick. Someone asked C.S. Lewis, why do the righteous suffer? And his response was, why not? They're the only ones who can handle it. When the great preacher William Sangster found out that he was dying of progressive muscular atrophy, he made four simple resolutions because of his faith in his father. He said, I will never complain. I will keep my home bright. I will count my blessings. And I will try to turn my illness into gain because God is greater than my sufferings. And because he is, I will dedicate my sufferings to God and I will let my weaknesses be the platform for his glory however he chooses to reveal it. Who can say words like that? Someone who knows Jesus Christ. Not just about him, but knows him. A Christian who knows that suffering is temporary. William tried to tell us about this early on today when he read God's word. Suffering is temporary, but we're not. Let me read that text again. Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed every single day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is temporary is unseen. What is unseen is eternal. I want to conclude by saying this, sister, please. Mark it down. God knows you and I are blind when it comes to suffering. And he knows living by faith doesn't come to us naturally. So he encourages us not just to lean on him, but to lean on him as we lock arms with other brothers and sisters. And heaven sees that and heaven responds. How is only up to God, but heaven responds. And so rather than having your way, I'm asking this morning, will you welcome him to have his? Because there is life in that, life without end. Amy's lived through both the miracle and the miserable, I can say that. I have lived through both the miracle and the miserable, and I can say that. I'm just curious, anybody else here lived through both the miracle and the miserable, and you can say that? Raise them high so that the ones here struggling right now can see it. Look at that. You can too, my friend. You can do that. Raymond's going to come lead us in a song, and I'm going to say, if you're here this morning and you're suffering in any category, that's why we have our elders at the front and the back. And we want to offer to you what we offered to the Leonard family. Before she went to her surgery, we prayed over Donna Leonard and we anointed her with oil and we asked God to heal her. We don't know how God's going to do that. We just know that he will. This morning we have some oil here, we have some elders here, and if for any reason you'd like for us to anoint you with oil, if you'd like for us to pray over you in the powerful name of Jesus, we want to do that. That's a step of faith. And I don't know if that's something that you can do on your own. If you need to grab some of the arm to go get you, go up there and have one of the elders pray with you and over you, please, we can do that. And if you've never given your life to Christ and you want in on a God who can help navigate not just the good things in my life, but the difficult, horrible, unthinkable things, and you want in on that, then we'll baptize you. 
We'll anoint you with water completely. Now, this will just be a, a light anointing. But we'll anoint you with water. We'll bury you in water in the powerful name of Jesus Christ because we believe by faith, both in the oil and the water, God does something because of our faith to touch and transform our lives. So, we don't take this time lightly, and I hope you don't either. Would you please stand? And if we can serve you and minister to you in any way, please come while we sing.